So I'm really so excited about so many things in 2021. And some of you are like, I just can't think past Christmas. Other, I know some kids are like, they've heard a rumor in the forecast, something about just a chance. You're saying there's a chance, right? A chance of snow on Christmas morning, just a chance. So I know some are praying fervently for that, and some are rebuking that in Jesus' name right now already. So I, I know that there are some different opinions about all of that, but I'm excited. I love Christmas, love the Christmas season. I don't even mind. I know some of you don't like it getting dark early. I like it getting dark because I like to see all the Christmas lights, and it just, I might not ever get mine to work around my house, but, it, you know, I like to see all the lights, and it just reminds us that we live in a dark world, but Jesus, when the, when the light shines in the darkness, it looks even more beautiful and, and bright, and so love this time of year. I like that it gets dark early because you can kind of just, you know, uh, fellowship inside the house and, and put your PJs on early and that sort of thing, right? Well, it's on us. It's Christmas time. We're wrapping up 2020. Let's finish strong, all right? Uh, We're going to finish the series strong this morning. We've been looking at the bigger picture of Christmas. Actually, it kind of wraps up. The bigger picture is what the kids will display, right, when we kind of look behind the manger scenes this afternoon. But this morning, we'll be in John chapter 1. So, let's open our Bibles to John chapter 1. Let's stand as we read the Word of God together, and as we're studying this Word We're asking the Holy Spirit to prepare our hearts for the Lord's table that we will do um, before the candle lighting at the conclusion of the service. This is one of my favorite texts concerning Christmas because it shows us the theological picture. Speaking of the bigger picture, this is kind of the theological picture of Christmas. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him, and apart from him, not one thing was created that has been created. Life was in him, and that life was the light of men. That light shines in the darkness, yet the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man named John who was sent from God. He came as a witness to testify about the light so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to testify about the light, the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was created through him, yet the world did not recognize him. He came into his own. His own people did not receive him, but all who did receive him, he gave them the right to be called the children of God to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. The Word became flesh and took up residence among us. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Father, we thank you for this bigger picture of Christmas, that John, who was the one who wrote the revelation that we saw last week, reminding us that you will be victorious over the enemy and over darkness in this world, that you shined your great light for us, Lord. He recorded this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit for every generation to see the bigger picture of Christmas, to see that you have a wonderful plan for our lives when we by faith receive you as Savior and Lord. Lord, if there's one here in this place or viewing online that's never trusted Christ, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would draw them to yourself and may the gospel be abundantly clear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you can be seated. I remember reading years ago of a scientist, an evolutionist, a professor who was 
teaching the principles of the fact that, you know, we just kind of evolved from nothing somehow and that we were headed to nothing and there was no such thing as eternity, no such thing as the supernatural, no such thing as uh, a God who created the heavens and the earth, uh, certainly not a God who wanted a relationship with us. And he had taught these principles. He had convinced his family, and then his mother was on her deathbed. And he started crying out to his mother, who he had had a strong relationship with and had become ultimately her teacher. And he said, hold on, Mom, just, just hold on. You've got to hold on. And she responded eventually and said, son, you have taken everything I had to hold on to. Because see, when you take away a belief that there is a God who loves us, created us, and revealed himself to us and made himself known to us, you take away the hope of the world. See, I saw quite a different picture yesterday. We had the opportunity to be with a family in our church. It was a private graveside service. And I remember... Standing there thinking yesterday, Pastor Ben, that there's, this family has hope. They're brokenhearted, and many of you have been praying for Brother Larry, whose wife, Miss Cheryl, went to be with the Lord this past week, but they did not grieve as those, those who have no hope. And while I was brokenhearted for them, and he's gone through surgery and had a mild heart attack this week, we're, we've been praying for he and his family. And, and as, as I was brokenhearted for them, I realized that Christmas, to go through all this at Christmas was still a beautiful and glorious reminder that we do not grieve as those who have no hope because the light of the world, according to this passage, verse 1, the Word who was with God, the Word who was God became flesh that he might have a relationship with those he created. He would come to redeem those he created. That Word became flesh. Eugene Peterson says that verse 14 is best translated moved into our neighborhood. And so yesterday I was able to start with that and go to John chapter 14 where Jesus said, you believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you so. I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you, I am coming again to receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. Why do we have hope during one of the most tragic weeks one could experience and seeing a loved one step into eternity, we have hope because we know beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus Christ moved into our neighborhood so that one day you and I can move into his neighborhood. We can move into his heaven and spend eternity in his presence. And so I know that not only Miss Cheryl, but so many loved ones, so many of you are grieving. Some has been years ago and some of you even this year and some, some of you it's so fresh on your heart and mind that this is a very difficult Christmas season for you. But if your loved ones were in Christ, they are in the presence of Christ like never before, celebrating Christmas this year in the presence of Jesus. But he also came into our world, moved into our neighborhood so that we might know him. Matthew wrote his gospel to the Jews. We've kind of reflected on that and, the, and, and how Herod was out to devour the Christ. I believe he was just possessed by Satan himself to devour the Christ child when he was born. And then we saw in um, you know, Genesis and Revelation, the, the bigger picture there that Jesus was going to crush the serpent underneath his feet and he's crushing him underneath our feet and we get victory by the blood of the lamb, the word of our testimony. Luke and his gospel, Luke was that physician. Remember, that was his, his career was that of a physician, but then he went as a missionary alongside the apostle Paul. But as a physician, man, he was a, just uh, uh, seemed like wanted to cover the virgin birth of Christ more than anybody else and wrote so much about it. 
But John, he's given us the bigger picture. He's given us the theological perspective, the word that was with God, who was God, who created all things, has now become flesh and dwelt among us that we would behold his glory. We can, because of John's gospel, be reminded we need to expect some things. We're talking this morning about three great expectations. Great expectations of Christmas. John is the one who would eventually see Jesus as the Alpha and Omega there, exiled to the island of Patmos. We were in Revelation last week, but if you go all the way back to Revelation chapter 1, Jesus, not only the resurrected Christ, but now the glorified Christ, would stand before him, said his hair was white like wool. It wasn't because, you know, he turned into Santa Claus, right? He didn't have a twinkle in his eye. He had a flame. His eyes were like a flaming fire that were just looking right through John. And anybody who comes in contact with the living Lord knows what he's talking about. Feed as bronze, this holy and glorified Jesus standing in his presence saying, I'm the Alpha Omega, I'm the beginning and the end. It all starts with me. It all ends with me. It's all about me. And so now we look at this first Christmas as a hinge in history, everything hinges on the advent of Christ. Now, we can make it more politically correct in our textbooks. Have you ever noticed this? College students know what I'm talking about here, probably the high school students. They've changed it where it doesn't say B.C. and A.D. anymore. Have you noticed that? They they don't want to say before Christ and in the year of our Lord in Latin anymore. They don't want to say that, so now they just say B.C. and B.C.E., or excuse me, C.E. and B.C.E., common era, uh, and before common era. So we just have, we've changed that so that people don't have to refer to Jesus Christ. But I would still ask the question, okay, well then, where, when did the common era start? Oh, well, the birth of Christ. The history hinges on this birth, and everything hinges on the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, as a result of this birth, just as Mary was expecting to give birth to a child, We can expect some things. There can be some great expectations because Christmas did happen. The first thing I want you to see this morning is we can expect to see the great revelation of God in Christ. And by the way, and nobody else. God was revealed in Christ because God the Son became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning, verse 1 says, was the word, that's the Greek word logos, all the reason for the existence of God, all the communication of God, everything that God is that could be made manifest to us, wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ, placed in the womb, born of a virgin, there that baby, that child of God, was God in the flesh. The Word was with God and the Word was God, verse 14. That Word became flesh, moved into our neighborhood, took up residence among us, Verse 2 said, he was with God in the beginning. All things were created through him and apart from him. Not one thing was created that has been created. And so the next time you're in a conversation with somebody from a different religion, maybe Jehovah's Witness or another religion that tries to say, look, Jesus was a created being, point out the fact that not one thing was created that was created apart from having been created by Jesus Christ. So here's the $125,000 question. How do you create yourself? Anything that's ever been created was created by Jesus. And so you have Jesus as God the Son with God the Father from Genesis chapter 1 to John chapter 1. In the beginning, God as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, because Genesis even tells us the Spirit hovered over the face of the deep. God as Father, Son, and Spirit creating and speaking this world into existence 
Why would God come in human form and take on the sins of the world and redeem us to himself because you are his prize and precious creation? He is the creator of the universe, and he is revealing himself to us in the person of Christ. He loves his creation. He loves the people he created and wants to redeem them and draw them to himself. Some of you are gifted in creating things. I'm, I just don't have that gift. I don't have uh, good craftsmanships. I, I don't, uh, I'm not a builder. I'm, I don't do well at construction and things like that. I'm not an artist. I, I can't create nice things artistically speaking. Now, you know, if you ask my mom, if you ask my fifth grade teacher, they would say, uh, you know, Robbie was a pretty good artist as a kid. Nobody else would say that, but they would. Later on, you know, I remember being, uh, having to make stuff in shop in FFA. You know, that was one of the things you did when you were in ag class. And I remember building a picnic table. was pretty proud of that. I remember uh, having to weld some things, but I couldn't necessarily weld the prettiest bead when it came to that sort of thing. I remember having to build some things and make some things. Remember when VBS always had a craft? You had to make something, you know, and so, whether it was a birdhouse or whatever. So I made a few things, but if you had ever tried to take those things or said, I would like those things, I'd say, take it. You can have it. It's just, it's, it's not... Me, it's not worth much you know, getting upset about. But Jesus, the master creator who created you, loved you so much that he would become flesh and take on the sins of the world to draw you back to himself. You're his, you are, listen, I know that because of sin and David, King David said, I was conceived in iniquity. So he's saying, from the moment of conception, I know that I was a sinner by nature and by choice. Nobody had to teach me how to sin. It was part of my nature ever since the fall. That same David would also write in Psalm 139, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. That even though we are depraved and sin-fallen, God still has a purpose and plan and is willing to send his son, willing to become flesh as God the Son to die and redeem us to himself. He loves us as creation. He doesn't want to leave us as creation only. Listen, the earth is the Lord, the fullness thereof, the people and all who dwell in it. God owns it all and he owns everybody, but that doesn't mean everybody owns him as father. And so we'll get to that in just a moment. We expect to see this great revelation of God revealing himself to his creation and to his created ones that he wants to draw to himself. Created us for fellowship. And so he comes into this world, and when he comes into this world as the light that shines, verse 5, in the darkness, it says the darkness does not overcome it. Some translations say comprehend. Scholars kind of debate on what the Greek is all about. It's the Greek word katalabano. It means to, to pursue and to capture. And so some say it's talking about philosophically speaking, because this passage seems to be philosophical, that John was saying the darkness just can't get their mind around who Jesus is. They didn't grasp it. They didn't understand it. Others would say that much like Herod and the devil himself tried to extinguish the darkness, that the darkness would not be victorious when it came to putting out the light. 
Well, either interpretation is valid because the rest of Scripture points out that both are true. No, the darkness could not extinguish the light. And yes, the carnal mind cannot discern the things of the Spirit unless God, through His Holy Spirit, illuminates that and makes it known to us. Well, that's what Jesus came to do. He came not only to die for the sins of the world and rise again, and that was such uh, at the top of his priority list. He came to reveal who God is to us. He is the great revelation of God, and the world didn't get it. Well, there was a witness to help them get it, right? There was a man Verse 6, named John, who was sent from God, speaking of John the Baptist, he came as a witness to testify about the light, just as we are to witness and testify of the light. He became less that Christ would become greater, so that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to testify about the light, that true light that gives light to everyone coming into the world. John was sent to to, to say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, the same John who wrote John's gospel was not John the Baptist, but he was one of the disciples, and later on he would write in his first epistle in 1 John, hey, we walked with him. He's the one that we touched with our own hands. We were in his presence. We saw everything. Listen, he is the revelation of God, and we saw God when we saw Christ. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, because I and the Father are one. Fully God, fully man, walking in their presence revealing all that God is, and we are to pass that on. No wonder Mary couldn't be quiet about it eventually. This seemingly introvert, virtuous woman burst forth in praise and said, my soul magnifies the Lord. No wonder the shepherds couldn't be quiet about it, right? After they came to that nativity scene, they had to leave and go and tell everybody far and wide that they had met this Christ child. The angels had to proclaim it. As we sang a moment ago, those angels had to herald the news of Messiah. They couldn't contain it. And when we understand, when we truly grasp, when we get our mind and our heart around with the help of the Holy Spirit working in our lives that Jesus truly is a Messiah, we can't help but embrace him and share, as many peop- share it with as many people as we possibly can. Now, what's going to happen when we do that? Because the second expectation is probably not one that you're very fond of. But it's one you need to be aware of. You need to expect it nonetheless. When I do premarital counseling, I I, I tell couples usually something like this. I tell them, we're not doing premarital counseling to eliminate problems in your marriage. Not going to happen. We're doing premarital counseling so I can tell you in advance what those problems are going to be so that you're expecting them and know how to respond to them. So when we get to number two, here's an expectation that you may not like. It's the expectation, listen, we can expect to see a great rejection of God in Christ. The whole concept that God made himself known to this world in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus, you can expect that the world will reject that message for the most part, not all, but by and large, they will reject it. Verse 5, remember, the darkness couldn't grasp it. They couldn't comprehend it. They could not extinguish it, but they couldn't fully understand it. More tragic, verse 10, he was in the world. The world was created through him. 
Yet the world did not recognize him. Isaiah prophesied that there would be nothing in his appearance that we should desire. We wouldn't say, because when Jesus was born of a virgin laying in a manger, when he walked on this planet before his crucifixion, he didn't appear in the same form he did to John in Revelation as a, a glorified Messiah. He, he didn't look like most of the paintings we have in our churches of him and on stained glass. He looked like the average olive-skinned Middle Eastern Jew. Nothing that we should desire. Even more tragic, verse 11, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Even the religious leaders who should have seen it all along, Jesus would say to them in chapter 5 of John, verse 39, you search the scripture because in them you think you have eternal life. They are they which testify of me. He says, you, you're scholars of what we now call the Old Testament and you've missed it and you haven't recognized that I'm the one that they're speaking of and pointing to. Well, how John points out that Jesus came to be the light of the world John chapter 9, he heals a boy who was born blind. And the irony of that passage is he took so much heat for that from the religious crowd. It's as if Jesus says in the narrative irony that is John chapter 9 that, listen, you who had physical vision, the ability to read the scriptures, are spiritually blind. But this boy who was born physically blind, he sees. He gets it. Not only can he see physically, but he sees spiritually. He understands that he was blind, but now he sees because of the work that I did. Romans chapter 9 and chapter 11 remind us that God has not rejected Israel so much as Israel has rejected God. And it's not only Israel, the majority of this world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, there's a broad road that leads to destruction and many are on it. There is a narrow road that leads to life and few find it. So here's the deal. If you have found it, if Christ has found you and made himself known to you and you've trusted him as Savior and Lord, received that salvation by grace through faith and you're walking with him, then you're in the minority when it comes to the numbers on this planet, but you're in the majority when it comes to identifying with the kingdom because now you are a child of the living God. John 15, Jesus said, the world hated me without reason. and They will hate and persecute you. Thanks, Jesus. That's encouraging, right? He says, you need to know this. If you come to a place in your life where you love me and you receive my love for you, you're going to be living in a world that hates me and therefore they're going to hate you. So there's this great rejection of God in Christ going all the way back here in this theological bigger picture of the Christmas story. An expectation of rejection. You believe it, you'll be rejected along with Jesus by so many. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul telling Timothy, look, here's the deal. God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to lead you to lead others to have a relationship with him. And when you're doing this, when you're living right, this world's going to persecute you. And listen, I know that I keep coming back to this, 
especially because the political environment that exists in this nation today, but I see no reason in Scripture that Christians should think they're exempt persecution and rejection simply because they're Americans. Think, well, but this nation is a Christian nation. It may have been founded on biblical principles, but the overwhelming majority of Americans do not know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so that means if you're going to live for Jesus Christ, you will be persecuted. Scripture tells us that. Live for him anyway. Even if we decide, hey, we're going to love this world, we're going to reach it with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we need to understand being as shrewd as serpents and as harmless as doves is never a call to compromise the gospel. And when you share Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, when you share that this is his standard for life, when you say, I'm going to stand on this standard, I'm not going to compromise this standard, as much as you love people, I hate to say it, they're still going to reject you. If they reject Christ, if they reject his standard, they will reject you. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. If he was rejected by men, I'm willing to be rejected by men because that tells me I'm identifying with Christ. Then why is it worth witnessing? <laughs> if the majority are going to reject him, then why do I want to be on mission? Is that not a losing cause? No, because the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Remember what we saw in Revelation? God wins. I want to be on the winning team in the end. I want to be with my living Lord. So here's the good news, that in spite of the rejection of so many, Christmas also helps us to see the great reception of God in Christ. Yes, many will reject him, but yes, many will also receive him. It makes it worth being obedient to the mandate that he's given us. And by the way, even if the whole world rejected him, but you, we still, you would still have a mandate to share Christ. What about Jeremiah, who's like, God says, you're going to be my prophet and you're going to go tell Judah, here's what's going to happen. And by the way, your church is going to get smaller and smaller and smaller while you're preaching the truth because they're going to reject me and they're going to suffer the consequences. But go tell them. God tells the prophets, if you don't do what I told you to do, the consequences are going to be grave, but their blood's going to be required at your hand. We need to understand it's worth it for those who will receive. Look at verse 12. But to all who did receive him, he gave them the right, the power, the authority to be the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, not just the physical birth here, or the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. John chapter 3, he elaborates on that. The, comment, the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible. John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. He's wanting, wanting to know how he can be a part of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven and live forever. And Jesus says, hey, you must be born again, not just born of water, but born of the Spirit. Romans chapter 8 says we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ when we by faith put our, when we by grace and faith receive Christ as Savior and Lord. So yeah, the majority 
the majority of the world is rejecting Christ. But many all around the world are coming to faith in Christ. Just think of the, we're told that on on some of these Jewish holidays that hundreds of thousands, especially during the Day of Atonement, but at all the Jewish holidays, hundreds of thousands of people were in and around Jerusalem. 3,000 on the day of Pentecost put their faith in Jesus Christ. And we say, wow, yes, hundreds of thousands were still rejecting the message, but 3,000 were saved and baptized on the day of Pentecost. Later on, Stephen stands and he preaches the gospel and they reject the message. They pick up rocks and they stone him to death, but there was one watching and overseeing all of this named Saul that is later referred to as Paul who becomes a believer because on the road to Damascus he sees the light and certainly can't shake the testimony of Stephen's preaching. And then Paul would go into all of the known world of that day, making his way all the way to Rome, sharing the gospel of Christ, being stoned. I always remind people, when Paul got stoned in Lystra, that meant they threw rocks at him. He didn't hit the local bars, right? Paul got abused. He was beaten with rods, left for dead. But people were receiving the gospel. I especially like the story of Acts chapter 17 when Paul goes to Athens. Not Athens, Georgia, but Athens, Greece, right? But it sounds a lot like Athens, Georgia, because there were a lot of philosophers there that were trying to argue that Paul was an idiot not knowing what he was talking about. He was just a seed picker. They wanted to hear him. Some of them just wanted to mock him and make fun of him and sneer at him. But it said there were a few that said, we'll hear you again on this matter. We, we, we want to hear what you got to say. It's making a little sense. Paul knew his stuff. And then there were a few, some, that believed and became followers of Jesus Christ. You think to Paul it was worth all the persecution, the rejection, the sneering, the mockery to say, but some received him. Some came into the faith. Is that worth it to you? Is that worth it? When years ago I read that 90% of the next generation, when you share the gospel with them, today they're rejecting it. It's heartbreaking. But is it worth sharing the gospel with 10 people so that one would come to faith in Christ? What if we shared with 100 people and 10 came to faith in Christ? 1,000 people and 100 came to faith in Christ. 10,000 people and 1,000 come to faith in Christ. It's worth it for the some who will receive him and join this journey on the narrow road. I remember being in an evangelism conference and we were talking strategy and trying to get our hearts fired up for sharing the gospel. It was specifically focused on the next generation. And we had this panel of leaders, theologians and seminary professors and and ministers that were before us that had all been kind of experts in the field of reaching the next generation. And the question was posed, why aren't we reaching more young people with the gospel of Jesus Christ? And so they came up with different things about strategy and style and things like that. And I'll never forget the answer of one of the youth pastors that had been a a very strong uh, evangelistic leader. It was simple but profound. And he said this, he said, you know, I think the reason we're not reaching more young people with the gospel is we're not really trying that hard. I was like, wow. Because if if, if at least one in ten would receive, I don't know how many students there are at Madison County High School now, maybe 1,500, I'm just taking a wild guess. 
Could we see 150 come to Christ? Your workplace, school, wherever you find yourself, if we're willing to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, as many as receive him, to them he gave the right, the power to become the children of God. Yes, you're going to be. You have to be willing as a believer to endure rejection. You can't say, well, if they reject me, then I'm just going to get my feelings hurt and I'm going to go home and cry. If they rejected Jesus, they will reject you. But some, some will receive, and it will make all the difference in the world to those who receive, starting with your own family. I can't, next year we're going to get into it. I don't want to get ahead of myself this morning. I don't have time for that. But next year we're going to get into the importance of passing this faith on, our values on, our beliefs on to the next generation and how we're kind of dropping the baton when it comes to passing that on. You're going to hear us talking about that. But let's commit to reach everybody we possibly can with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As many as received him, to them he gave the power, the right to become the children of God. And what if they do reject you? Anybody ever had this happen to you? Young people especially, middle school especially, listen to me. Those of you who are older like me, try to remember when you were in middle school and see if this happened to you. And if that friend that you were friends with is here, you know, just kind of look at them and laugh with them this morning. But ever have a friend come to you? Guys, maybe I put it this way. You have that friend come to you and they wonder if somebody likes them, you know, like, like, likes them. And they want to know if that person, you know, I, I like them, but do they like me? But I don't like rejection, so will you go and find out if they like me? Well, when a friend of mine wanted me to find out that information, all the pressure was off me because it wasn't about me. It was about them, Right? And so I could go up to some young lady, and, uh, you know, I'm in middle school. I'm, I'm a shy guy, but if I'm talking about my buddy over here, hey, you know, my buddy over here, he likes you. And he wants to know, do you kind of like him? And if they go, no, oh, he's gross. I don't have anything to do with him. Then I'm like, okay. See, because they're rejecting him, not me. Listen, so many times we, we, we make this personal like it's about me, it's really about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And by the way, it's not funny when they reject him, but the pressure's off you because when you go and you share the gospel of Jesus Christ and they reject it, it's not you they're rejecting, it's our Lord that they're rejecting. Should still break your heart, but you remember you're his representative in this world. And so go and share it with as many people as you possibly can because as many as received to them, he will give the right, the power, the authority to become the children of the living God. We may be in the minority, but with God, we're the majority, and we will be. We will be victorious. We saw it in Genesis. We saw it in Revelation. We see it here in the bigger picture. Do you have that relationship with him? Do you know you're part of that eternal family of God, a child of the living God? Will you bow your heads with me this morning? We're going to begin preparing our hearts for the Lord's table. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul said, you know, the philosophers of this age, the scholars of this world, they, they're going to think your preaching is foolish. But for those of us who are being saved, it is the wisdom and the power of God. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. The wisdom and the power of God that God the Son would become flesh and dwell among us that we would behold his glory. 
the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Is there somebody here this morning that would say, Pastor Robbie, I've never trusted Christ as my Savior and Lord, but right here today, the best way I know how, I'm turning from sin and self. I confess that I'm a sinner, but I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and I trust him as my Savior. With no one looking around, if that's the desire of your heart, that's the prayer of your heart today by faith, trusting in Jesus as your Savior and Lord, would you just raise your hand and say, that's where I'm at today. I'm giving it all to him and receiving all he has for me by faith. Amen. Anybody else? That's the prayer of your heart. Just hold it up to us then. Father, we thank you for the hope of Christmas that transforms us from darkness to light. May we not only receive it, may we share it even when it means in identifying with you and the rejection so that we also identify and rejoice with you in the celebration of the many who will worship around the throne of Jesus Christ from every tribe and tongue, every nation and ethnicity. When we stand in heaven one day, may there be people around us that are also there because they were friends and family members and neighbors and people around the world that we were faithful to take the gospel to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to be seated this morning. Remain seated.